So the reading today is from Jonah 1, um, verses 1 to 6. Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here. Well, I'm here every week, but it's great to be up here and opening God's Word uh, with you guys. And I think in light of Christmas, uh, one of the great things that we rem- remember during that time is just the fact that God made himself noble. He came in the form of Jesus Christ as a human being, someone who we can empathize with and who empathizes with us. And that's a really... Uh, powerful and great and glorious truth that we remember at Christmas time. And as we move from Christmas and thinking about this series, as we move into the book of Jonah, I hope you can see that God still revealed himself to his people, even before Jesus. He revealed his character, his desires, his intent. Uh, But we who are on this side of Jesus, we just have more information, we have more access to God uh, than they did. And Uh, here's an opportunity for us to see the same consistent character of God throughout all of history. So today we're starting this new series, and uh, we've got this subtitle, The Big Fish. But if you've read Jonah, you would notice that the fish only kind of features for three verses of the whole four chapters. The big fish, the, the big deal in all of Jonah is not the fish. It's not even Jonah the prophet. It's the great God that uh, Jonah worships, that controls the fish, that makes all these things work out for our good and our glory. And so, uh, hopefully, you'll see that not only is the fish a small part of the story, but it's actually not even the key message. Uh, I want you to see that actually the key message for all of Jonah is summarized in chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And as you hear those words, hopefully you're thinking, that sounds like what I believe as well. That sounds like the Christmas message. God sends Jesus to save us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. If you were here before Christmas, we were going through the book of Acts. And even in the book of Acts, it was the same message. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There's nothing we can do to save us. It's what God has done in Jesus that saves us. 
It's the same consistent message that's been going beyond geographic barriers. It's gone to far-flung Nineveh in our passage today. Uh, but it's also cross-cultural and other barriers to come to us in Sydney. And it still goes out even now. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So as we consider today's passage, uh, it's short and it ends with a bit of a cliffhanger. But I want us to consider a simple but profound truth. God is sovereign, and that's why salvation belongs to him. Now, when I use the word sovereign, I mean that he is the king, that he is good, that he is providing for his people. God is sovereign, so that's why salvation belongs to him. We're going to look at this in three parts uh, across this time. First, God is sovereign, and he speaks to us in verse 1. God is sovereign, and he always has been, verse 2 and 3. And finally, God is sovereign and only he can save the perishing, verse 4 to 6. Let me pray for us again as we uh, begin uh, looking at that passage. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your sp- spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start thinking about how God is sovereign in the way that he speaks. And uh, just look at verse 1 of the passage. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, you you might have glanced over this verse as Mim was reading it. You might have, if you read your Bible, you might think, oh, that's a pretty familiar kind of verse. It comes up all the time in these books called the Prophets, but... Actually, I want us to pause and think about how profound that statement is. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. God himself, the God who made the whole universe, speaks to his people. And that's quite a shocking claim, but that's the claim that all these prophets made, that God spoke to them and they had a message to pass on to his people. Now, Mari's helped us le- think about prophecy a little bit, and uh, we, it was kind of a, um, you know, a ploy of Mari and mine to lead you guys down a rabbit hole to think about predictions, because that's what we often think of prophecies, right? They're future predictions. And in fact, that's even how uh, lots of things in our popular culture uh, think of prophecy. Here's a few. A Jedi will come to destroy the Sith, and bring balance to the force. You know, these future uh, predictions that have some cryptic kind of meaning to it, and everyone's trying to figure out how they should live in light of these predictions. Or, uh, that's tiny, sorry, the one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches, and either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. Um, Another prophecy that kind of shapes the narrative of the books and the movies uh, and guides people's decision-making. Or my personal prophecy the other day, India will hit at least 100 test runs um, at the start of the second innings. Uh, Yeah, heartbreaking stuff, but hopefully they'll recover and I can be a faithful prophet again. But uh, I wonder if you think that's what biblical prophecy is. And actually... Often, biblical prophecy has this future-predicting kind of mode. Um, If you think about 
the prophecies made about Jesus. Just here on Christmas Eve, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, and there's a prophecy there in verse 6 about a son who will be born, who will be the king. But actually, the more common kind of prophecy throughout the whole Bible is not a future-looking prediction. It's actually what we've seen here in verse 1, the word of the Lord coming to someone, his prophet. Actually, the prophets aren't someone predicting the future. They're middlemen. They're people who stand between God and his people. They're his voice speaking to whom God wants to speak to. And as we start this book of Jonah, but also as we come to the end of this very strange year, it's really useful for us to actually pause and think about the fact that the God who makes the whole universe speaks to us. The sovereign God speaks, and He speaks through His Word to us. What a, what a privilege to know that in our Bibles, we have the sovereign God that has spoken through His prophets all throughout history. This God has been teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training His people for righteousness all throughout history. And the author of Hebrews begins his letter in this way. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. See, the greatest prophet that we've ever had, the greatest middleman between God and His people, is His Son, Jesus. In the last days, the last days that we're living in, and maybe COVID really makes you feel like these are the last days, but these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, Jesus. And, and we ought to hear Him because He tells us not only who God is, but He tells us how we can live our lives and He can tell us about our world. And maybe you, you think, oh, if only God spoke to me in an audible voice like He did in the prophets, then maybe, you know, I'll be able to know what to do with my decision-making. I'll be able to know what to do with that job that I want to take or that big decision that I need to make for next year. But, brothers and sisters, we have a greater privilege than even these prophets had. Jonah, according to this Bible, Jonah's prophecy was just one page, double-sided. That, that's all he had in terms of the Word of God. We have a whole book of books, 66 whole books of God speaking to us. We are in a far greater, more privileged position than even Jonah was, because all he heard was that voice of God telling him to go and preach to Nineveh. We have the whole of God's speech recorded for us in the Bible. So if you're still waiting for that still, small voice of God to prompt you when you're trying to make that decision-making... Or, or if you're waiting for God to kind of speak so that He can reveal Himself so that you go, oh, now I know God is real. Well, actually, He's already done that. He's already spoken to you, and He, speak, he can speak to you every day in His Word. That's how He has promised to speak to His people. As we approach the end of the year, and as we think about the next one, and I'm sure already people are thinking about New Year's resolutions, I want you to make that commitment again. Be keen to hear the word of the Lord as He speaks to you to equip you for whatever He has in store for you 
next year. The sovereign God speaks, and He wants to speak to you through His Word. As we go to the second part of the passage, we're going to think about how God is sovereign and that He always has been sovereign. Let's have a look at verse 2 to 3. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now, God commands his prophet, Jonah, to go to Nineveh. He says, go to Nineveh. They've done something evil, but what does he do? He goes in the exact opposite direction to Tarshish. He goes, first he goes down to Joppa, and then he tries to get as far away as possible from Nineveh to run away from the Lord's presence. Now, when I read this, I was a bit confused. I thought, does this guy not understand who God is? This is the God who made the whole universe. This is the God who can see everything and knows everyone. How are you going to try to flee from his presence? Well, as we go through the rest of the book of Jonah, you'll see that Jonah's not a fool. He knows God. He knows God's character. So when he's trying to run away from God, it's not that he thinks he can find a place where God can't see him. It's more that he's actively saying, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I'm actively choosing to rebel against your command to me, which is a shocking thing uh, for a prophet, one of God's people who is supposed to be this voice of God to the people. It's a shocking thing for him to do. But the clear thing in Jonah, as in the whole Bible, is that the God of the universe is sovereign and he always has been. Uh, so let's have a think a little bit about uh, who Jonah is, because this is not the first time Jonah features in the Bible. In fact, he shows up in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 23 to 27. I'm going to read that out for us, because I think it's helpful to see God's sovereign hand even in this episode. Uh, in the 15th year of Judah's king, Amaziah, son of Joash, Jeroboam, son of Joash, became king of Israel in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not turn away from all the sins Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. He restored Israel's border from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord. The God of Israel had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter for both slaves and free people. There was no one to help Israel. The Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel under heaven, so he delivered him by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Joash. Now, what does this little episode tell us? Well, for one thing, uh, that there was a time where God's people were not obedient to God. There was a guy named Jeroboam who did evil in the Lord's sight. But even to that evil king... God sent a prophet. God sent Jonah, the son of Amittai. And God sent him to expand their borders, to uh, save his people. Not because the king was good, but 
Because the Lord saw that the people were in trouble. The Lord did it because he cares, he provides, he loves his people. Now, if you were uh, a Jew, you would probably think that Jonah is actually a little bit dodgy. Because Jonah was a prophet to a dodgy king. And uh, that king expanded his territory. He seemed successful in the eyes of the world. But actually, before God, he was evil. He was uh, doing evil things before him. And most people who would be reading this book of Jonah, they would be from the southern tribe of Judah. And anyone who kind of is from the southern tribe, associated in the north as kind of this dodgy um, kingdom that uh, rebelled against God. So most people would have been initially shocked that Jonah would disobey God's word and uh, go against him. But then maybe they would eventually think, oh, he's actually one of those dodgy northern prophets. So it makes sense maybe that he would go with the king and run away from God. Um, He's that guy who advised that evil king. Uh, But the thing about that episode is that God was still working out, even through an evil king, even through an evil kind of nation, he was working out his good purposes. And he, through Jonah, will show us that even a rebellious and unlikely prophet can be used for his good purposes. Uh, the se- second thing to consider is just the question of why, um, why Jonah may have run from this command from the Lord. Why would he run from doing this preaching job in Nineveh? Well, it's actually because, I wonder, it's because Nineveh was a great city of an Assyrian empire. Now, the Assyrian empire was like the great superpower of their day. It was like the U.S., you know, it, it kind of dictated world politics and uh, people looked to them to see what would happen next. And uh, he would rightly fear Nineveh because they're the enemy. They're the, the, the scary threat uh, to God's people. And later, it is this, these Assyrian people are the ones who sack Israel, destroy the uh, country and take away all the people into captivity. So there's a good reason for him to fear uh, Nineveh and uh, this Assyrian nation. But even Nineveh, even this Assyrian nation is under God's sovereignty. We see here that God actually has worked all throughout history. He knows his people, he knows his lands, and he will work things out according to his purposes. And he's got a plan for even this nation that doesn't know him. He has a plan to send Jonah to go and preach to them because their evil has come up before him. The fact that our God is sovereign over history and that he always has been should actually be a particular comfort to us in 2020, I think. Because for most of us in our living memories, this has been one of the strangest years that we've had. But the God who has sovereignly coordinated nations, who knew about things like Nineveh, who used dodgy prophets like Jonah, that God is not surprised by a northern beaches outbreak. That God is not surprised by COVID-19. That God wasn't surprised by Trump or Biden or Morrison, any of those things. 
all of history, even when it might not seem like it to us, all of history is being working out in his sovereignty for his good purposes. And his ultimate end is actually a time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is a great comfort to us as we think about this sovereign God that we worship. Finally, we'll look at our third point, that God is sovereign and only He can save the perishing. We'll look again at verses 4 to 6. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of this vessel and stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Can you see the sovereignty of God in verse 4? This is the God who can throw a great wind and storms can come up and he can stop this rebellious prophet in his tracks. There's a bit of an irony, I think, in this verse where the sailors, they're trying to throw their cargo out of their boat to try to stop the storm and it's totally ineffective. Meanwhile, there's God who throws the wind and it's super effective in being able to stop the boat from going where he wants it to go. Yet the fact that Jonah can be asleep through this massive storm is pretty interesting. It it might speak to his safety in God or maybe his lack of care, his apathy in all this. Maybe it was a deep sleep that the God that God gave him uh, at that time. But you know, whatever the sleep is, it bodes well for him because that means hopefully he can sleep well three nights in the belly of a fish. Um, but as I was reading that, I thought, how like Jesus, who was also able to sleep through a storm. Uh, but the difference is that Jesus was God Himself, who 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 could command the storm. The same God who threw the winds and made the storm happen, that God was in the boat, Jesus, with his disciples, able to stop the storm. These sailors, like most of the sailors of their time, they would have been very polytheistic. As you can see, each one prays to his own God, hoping that one of them would listen and hear him. And everyone's trying and it's not working, so suddenly the captain remembers, oh, there's that guy sleeping and he's not one of us, maybe his God will work. So let me go wake him up and see if his uh, God will be the one that can stop the wind and the waves. And if you're Jonah and you're sleeping, and the first thing you hear is, get up! I wonder if he had a bit of a nightmare. He thought, oh no. Uh, Because in verse 2, that's how God woke him up. He said, get up! I wonder if Jonah suddenly thought, oh no, God's found me, and I need to get up and do something about it. I think as Jonah wakes up, he'll quickly realize that this is the sovereign Lord's hand, that the sovereign Lord is the one causing the storm and that he has to do something about it. If you look at the captain again in verse 6, the way he ends, ends with a bit of uncertainty. 
He's asking Jonah to get up, but he says, maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. He's hopeful, but he's not sure that even Jonah's God can save. That's the kind of fear that those who don't worship the real God live in. They cry out to whomever they can, hoping that someone is listening and unsure whether they can save. We who are observing the story now, we, we know with certainty that this, the God who caused that wind to come is able to stop the wind because he is sovereign over the elements. He is sovereign to be able to save those who are perishing. Uh, there was actually a storm that was also a significant turning point in church history. Although not at sea, there was a guy named Martin Luther who was riding back from university on his horse and then he got caught in a massive thunderstorm. Assuming that this was the judgment of God and being a good Catholic of that time, he cried out, help, Saint Anna, I will become a monk. And the storm stopped. He was saved. Ironically, one of the greatest proponents of the Reformation, who would later say that we don't need to pray to saints because we have access directly to Jesus and only need to pray to him. He began his religious journey with this cry out to a random saint for help. But the sovereign God saved even this perishing university student from the powers of the world. And he set him on a course that would shape the history of his people. A history without which we wouldn't even have this church here today. There's a few things that I think we can take away from these few verses of Jonah. If you're not a Christian, there's a great reminder here that God can save the perishing. He can save those who are bound for death itself. That's not going to happen by you crying out to every God and hoping one of them will stick. You've come to the right place. This is the God that can save you from perishing. And it, it doesn't happen by you trying to unload your life from all its baggage, hoping that that will uh, finally clear you up enough to be right with God. No, the promise of the Bible is that the way that God saves is in John 3.16. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You too can be saved by God in the same way from not perishing, simply by believing in God's son, Jesus. And Christians, we don't have the kind of uncertainty that this captain has. We have full assurance, not because we did something to deserve God's salvation. It's because salvation belongs to the Lord. And those who believe in Jesus, those who turn to him, are saved from perishing because of what he's done for us. If you are a Christian, I think there is an encouragement from Jonah 1 for you and maybe a challenge. I think the encouragement is that we have certainty where these sailors lacked it. We know God where 
these sailors may not have. And we also have certainty because God speaks to us even today. But here's maybe the challenge that we get from Jonah 1. Just like God said to Jonah, rise and go and preach to Nineveh, so has God also said to us, rise, go and make disciples of all nations. I wonder how you're going in that. Have you outsourced all that kind of preaching of the gospel to the ministry staff or to the missionaries that we support? Or do you hear God's voice as he speaks of his love for the nations even now and your part in speaking that to your neighbors, your colleagues, your family, your friends? This is the God who loves even the enemies of his people, people like Nineveh, and sends his people to go and preach to the nations. I've been considering this question ever since I became a Christian, and that's part of the why, part of the reason why my family's on this pathway to full-time ministry. We're praying even now and looking into what it might look like for us to go overseas and preach the gospel as a response to our faithfulness to Jesus. The Allens responded to this by going to Tasmania to preach the gospel in that place. I wonder how God is pushing you, how he might be speaking to you to be a voice to a place that doesn't have the gospel riches that we have here in Sydney. As I finish up, I want to remind you that the big fish isn't the point of Jonah. It's the big God. It's the big God who is sovereign over the whole world. The same sovereign God who speaks to us every time we open our Bible and read it. It's the same big God who's sovereign throughout history and sustained the world since the beginning of time. It's the same God who will see everything to its completion under the Lord Jesus. And it's the same sovereign God who saves those who are perishing because He loves us through His Son, Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank You for the opportunity this morning to remember Your sovereignty. Father, please help us to know that You love us, that You have spoken to us, and that You can save us who are perishing. We pray that we'll be able to live our lives in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.